next on Grow in Grace. What's the source of power in your life? Are you trying to do it on your own? Well, I have a great education, Pastor. Well, good luck with that. Well, I have friends in high places until you really need help. Well, I'm smart, I'm strong. Doggone it, people like me. Really? Is that your sole bank account? You need something better than that. You need God. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing, Hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love. Those of you who have a fruit tree in the back of your yard, probably look forward to harvest time when you can enjoy the fruit of your labor. After the pruning, thinning, watering, and fertilizing, you should end up with something to show for it, right? Well, if the tree didn't produce some good fruit, you'd start to think something was wrong. Similarly, the Christian is to bear spiritual fruit. And when there's little or none in the human life, there's a great cause for concern. Pastor Ed Ray takes us to John chapter 15, where we learn about spiritual fruit from the true vine himself. So join us for this edition of Grow in Grace, and we'll get started. We are in the Gospel of John chapter 15, verse 1 this morning, as we work our way through the New Testament verse by verse. Jesus is speaking. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide, remain, cling to. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he'll be cast out as a branch, and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father displayed, glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father, in the same way the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep his command, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be overflowing. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now to teach us that we might understand what it is you're saying to us here and that you might change us by it so that we leave this place differently than the way we came in. We ask that in Jesus' name and all of God's children agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. We looked at Jesus' promise about peace. And this week we're looking about Jesus, we're looking at Jesus' promise about joy. Now, we all have bad days. That's just the reality of life. But there are some people who need a major implant, a personality transplant, or maybe or something like that. But we, what we really need is what the Bible calls joy. A definition of joy and evidence of the presence of God in your life. Don't mistake happiness for joy. We use the words interchangeably in the English, but they're much different in the Bible. The word to have joy or rejoicing occurs 330 times in the Bible, where the word for happiness only occurs 26 times, because happiness depends on the happenings. Happiness depends on the circumstances of your life. And we're not supposed to let the circumstances of our lives dictate to us our attitude. In fact, we are to choose joy. It is a choice. We have volition. We have this ability to choose that. Well, I don't feel like it. None of us do. <laughs> Life is hard. There's all kinds of things coming at you that you didn't expect. But you can choose to be joyful. And you start by letting the Holy Spirit come into you. So we looked at peace. And you get peace by looking towards heaven and eternity. Not focus too much on what's happening today, this week, next month in your life. And it's also a fruit, the result of the Holy Spirit in your life. Galatians 5.22 said the fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit living in you, is love. And then he goes on to break it down. Peace, joy, long-suffering. So peace and joy are the result of God living in you. That's what happens when you're born again. You allow the Holy Spirit to take up residence in your life. So we're in the section that's called the Upper Room Sermon or the Last Supper Sermon. Jesus gave four sermons. That's the way you can look at it in the Bible. And this is the last one, the fourth one. And he's giving it to the 11 disciples, the apostles that are left. And he starts in chapter 13 at the table at the Last Supper. And now, as we saw last week, or three weeks ago, there was this Christmas thing in between. Uh, the last part of chapter 14, he said to his disciples, come now, let us leave. And so they get up from the table. We know where the upper room was located in Jerusalem. And for those of you that have been to Israel, you'll remember that you go straight across the city of Jerusalem to the eastern gate to go down and into the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he's going. This is the last night Jesus is with his disciples and he wants to spend it with them in this olive garden on the side of the Mount of Olives. But to get there, he has to walk past the temple, the temple of Herod, it was called in the first century. Now that makes sense 
because as you work your way through this, you'll see that he's referring to the door and the front of the temple. How so? Well, Herod's temple had a vine on it. In fact, a huge gold vine, real gold, solid gold, carved gold. This is what Josephus, the historian, saw, and he describes the front of the temple this way. They're going to walk right by this. That gate, which was at the end or the first part of the house, the temple of God, all over was covered with gold. It was its whole wall on the front, gold. It also had golden vines above it from which clusters of grapes of gold hung as tall as a man's height. So this grapevine had these clusters of grapes on it of solid gold with a grape the size of a man's hand, solid gold. And if you wanted to say honor someone of your family that died, you'd buy them another golden grape. And so the cluster was constantly growing. It's on the east side of the temple, you'll remember. So first thing in the morning, first morning sun hit it. The whole rest of the temple is covered with white marble, Greek marble. And so it's stunning in the morning sunlight. But that's what they're walking past this night. And Jesus is referring to the vine on the front of the temple. Why? Why is the vine there? Why a grapevine? If you go back to Exodus, when they first went into the Canaan, you'll remember that they found grapes there, clusters so big that they had to put it on the shoulder of two men on a stick to walk one cluster of grapes back out from the Valley of Eskal, it's called. So that was the picture of what they saw of Canaan, the promised land. But it's also what the prophets said Israel was to God. That in fact, the nation of Israel was a vine, a vineyard. So this section breaks up into three parts. I am the vine, one through three. Abide or remain or stay connected, the word means four through seven with God. And then the last section, 8 through 11, joy. It's all good stuff. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace. We're partway through a study in John 15. Let's get back to it. I am the vine. Literally, it says, I am the true vine in the King James, but the true is after it. So it says, Jesus said, I am the vine the true vine. What's he saying? The same thing he said earlier in the Gospel of John when he said, I am the bread of life. That was back in John 6, 35. Seven times he says, I am something. What's going on here? He's reminding them that he is God. He's reminding them that when Moses came to the burning bush, and the bush said to him, let my people go from, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses said, well, who shall I tell? Pharaoh sent me. And Jesus in the bush said, I am 
that I am. Doesn't work in English, doesn't work in Hebrew. But what he was saying was, I am now. I am presently God. I have been God, always have been. And I always will be God. And so now in the Gospel of John, seven times he gives us little components, characteristics about him being the I am. What do you need? I am your bread. I am what you eat. I am your light. I am the light of the world, John 8, 12, John 10, 7. I am the door. You have to go through me to get to eternity, to heaven. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Everybody say, bah. bah. We be the sheep. I am, John eleven twenty five. the resurrection and the life. You will need that part of Jesus. Someday, all of us will die unless Jesus returns. Today would be a good day, Lord. But we're all going to die and we're going to be in a grave and he's going to resurrect us. Stand up again. That's what it means. I am your resurrection, he said. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the pathway that you walk on. Walk with me and I'll take you there. And now, 15, 1, I am the vine. I am the source of life that you need, and I will give it to you. Life flows from me, he's saying to you. So, I am the vine, or I am the vine, the true, is all part of this claiming to be God. He is God, the Son. I am the source of all your spiritual fruitful activities. You want to do something spiritual with your life? you got to be connected to him. And that happens when you're born again, when you surrender and you say, God, I surrender. I give you my life, forgive my sins. He comes into you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God living in you, yeah, and in me. There's no spiritual fruit that lasts that you and I can rev up from inside ourselves. Vineyards are the picture here. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea all said that Israel was a vineyard. Here's Isaiah 5.1. God speaking, now let me sing of my well-beloved a song. Well-beloved is Jesus. A song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared away all its stones and planted it with the choicest vines carefully. And he built a tower to protect it in the midst and also made a wine press in it because he expected it to produce grapes that would be made into wine. He expected it to bring good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. He's talking about the nation of Israel. If you go to Israel with us, and Lord willing, we'll go again next year, not this year, but when you arrive there, you'll see two men carrying this bundle of grapes on all the cars and trucks that belong to the Ministry of Tourism. All the buses have it on them, because that's the picture of Israel, but it's also the picture of now, you and I, the disciples of Christ.
So he's the true one. He is the only one. He's the real one. So the question that comes out of this, where are you plugged in? What is your source? Are you relying on your own talents, capabilities, shortcomings, and capacities that God gave you? Is your only place to go to, your only go-to is yourself and the genetics that your parents contributed to you? From where do you draw your strength? From where do you draw your sanity? Where do you get your hope and expectation of something good? Where does that come from in your life? What is the source of your life? The answer, he's saying, is him. Personally, you and him. And he's trying to encourage us. Connection. Connection with God. Now, I, I've been working on this, trying to come up with a word that works. Connection is the one that works best, I think, in modern-day English. They didn't have to connect in those days. We've had electricity in this city, Redlands. Redlands was one of the first cities in the world to get alternating current, regular AC current in the wall. And so we're used to it, this whole generation. You walk up, plug in the vacuum cleaner, men for your wife and you do all the floors for I'm sure you do you want to turn on something electronic you plug it in where does that power come from well way back in 1892 the Redlands Light and Power Company built that that is a alternating current single phase generator and there's the water ditch that brings water to from, from Mountain Home Village, comes over the falls, comes down that ditch, and still to this morning, these lights are here because of something that was started in 1893. They foresaw the need to bring, first of all, electricity to an ice plant in Mentone, of all places, on the corner of Wabash and Colton Avenue, called the Union Ice Company. Still in business, not there any longer, but at that place. And they put up, the ice company put up $60,000 for a man by the name of Sinclair to put in that generator and to bring electricity. And the next year, it came to the city of Redlands. Here's from the Redlands Daily Facts. It says, when the Mill Creek number one power plant began, up in, still there, transmitting Redlands in the late summer of 1893, there came the great day, or rather night, when arc streetlights turned on in Redlands, the first city to have electrical illumination in the world. There were four lights installed one each at the main intersections in town. The light turned on and they celebrated with gusto. Chairs were borrowed from the YMCA and placed under the single light at State and Orange Streets and the band gave a concert to the light of a single light bulb. Connected, so I, I took you all the way there because I'm trying to show you, give you an illustration of what it means to be connected, what's the source of power in your life? Are you trying to do it on your own? 
Well, I have a great education, Pastor. Well, good luck with that. Well, I have friends in high places until you really need help. Well, I'm smart, I'm strong. Doggone it, people like me. Really? Is that your sole bank account? You need something better than that. You need God. Verse 2, every branch, that would be you and I, in me, that's those of us that were smart enough to surrender to God and say, God, I need you. I can't do this by myself. Jesus comes into you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, your expectation of living forever. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., he takes away. Now, that's not a good translation. We are in a battleground of theologians, and normally I wouldn't even take you there, but if I don't, you won't understand the next verse, verse 3. So when it says he takes away, the word is arrow, A-I-R-E-O. Huh, sounds a lot like air. That's exactly where our English word comes from. It's not take away, it's lift up, like a dirigible going up. From so why is it here in this translation? Because in 1536, William Tyndall translated the Bible into English from Latin, and he didn't understand this word. He didn't understand that in Israel, grapes are grown flat on the ground, no trellises, and they walk along, and when they see that a grape cluster is in the dirt, they take a rock, because there's a lot of rocks in Israel, just like Mentone, and you put a rock under the branch, and you lift up that cluster of grapes. So every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he lifts up like we would in a trellis today. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges, he catharses. That's the Greek word. A catharsis of water coming off the side of a mountain. He washes. It's the same word in Acts chapter 4 where it says at the day of Pentecost that the apostles lifted up their voice to God. God didn't take away their voices. They lifted them up. And this word bears fruit. He prunes. It's not prunes. It's wash. It's the very same word that John, who wrote this, wrote in his letter when he said, if you will confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and catharsis you, wash you from all unrighteousness. I'm saying all that so that the next verse makes sense to you. So he lifts up these branches and they're washed because he talks about washing in the next verse. Thanks for joining us for Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're going through the Gospel of John together from start to finish. For a CD copy of today's message, just call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there too. 
which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to thepackinghouse.org and look for our radio page. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. God is doing a great work through radio, and you can be a part of it. And when you support us with a gift of any amount, we want to say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers for well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attitude of God, from God's infinitude to His immutability, grace and goodness. I think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable. Again, we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift in any amount to grow in grace. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And we want to hear from you. Even if you're not in a position to be able to give, whether it's a word of encouragement, a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request, email us today at packinghouseradio.com at AOL.com. That's PackinghouseRadio at AOL.com. And then join us next time as together we grow in grace through a study in John's Gospel with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is presented by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your.